Welcome to Marketing Mindshare, the podcast that brings you into the world of the top marketing minds from Fortune 500 companies to scrappy, small and medium-sized business marketers. Together, we'll explore the leading strategies today's marketing leaders deploy. I'm your host, Dean DiCarlo, and now let me take you into the Marketing Mindshare. Welcome, Joy Lincanti, to the Marketing Mindshare podcast. I'm really glad to have you. Um, today, we're going to be talking about paid search and specifically what your role is as at IBM as a paid search manager. Yeah, Dean, happy to, happy to be here. So thanks so much for having me. No problem at all. And before this, we were going back and forth a little bit about the pronunciation of your name. I said uh, Lincanti at first, but then you, uh, you corrected me a little bit for, for everybody who's uh, not Italian American over here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, yeah, it's the uh, Lanciotti is the uh, the traditional Italian way. If I was going to go over to Italy, yeah, yeah, but uh, now you know, Lanciotti is the, the Americanized version. So we Lanciotti, exactly. Make do with it. Yeah, we'll 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 make it happen for everyone else. You know what I mean? Make it a little easier. Exactly. We won't hold it to them. Um, so really, uh, I'm really interested to just have you on today because my background is in paid search and user experience and you are part of a really large team helping to run strategy at IBM for paid search. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what your role is now, um, kind of what you're working on? Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of touched on it. So right now I'm part of a, you know, me and it's about like a, it's a pretty small team, like seven or eight people. Um, and we're essentially in charge of running and you know, determining the strategy budgets, everything like that for paid search for all of IBM at a global scale. So we work very closely with our ad agency, uh, with the senior leadership team at IBM to kind of determine, you know, what our priorities are um, and, you know, really kind of making sure that we are in market and rolling out a cohesive global strategy to kind of make sure we're capitalizing on, you know, all of our priority keywords, all of our priority offerings, and, you know, making sure that's rolled out worldwide. Um, before this, it was a very disjointed um, yeah, I guess search was, was, was really disjointed at IBM. I mean, we had each country was running their own program. Um, each brand inside IBM was running their own program. And, and as you can imagine, that led to a lot of overlap, a, a very disjointed customer experience, um, you know, with with people kind of stepping on each other's toes. Cust- you know, there's duplicate content out there. Yeah, Customers sure. didn't really know where to where to look for the best best information on our site. So we basically rolled out this, you know, two-year effort to kind of simplify everything and make sure that, you know, we're giving users the best possible customer experience um, and making sure we're really putting them in front of the right information based on their search. And then, you know, we, we launched that here first in North America and based on the success that we saw, um, you know, kind of replicated that globally. So now we, you know, it's, it's one unified IBM search effort um, for the entire company. That's, that's pretty incredible. So, I could imagine that even in a company as large as IBM, that it gets very fragmented when you have different teams in different countries. And then of course, across different products. So I'd imagine it was multiple teams, even within a country. What was that process of getting the team unified? I mean, I, I think honestly, I mean, it's it really kind of all, it, it all stemmed from, from our leadership team. I mean, they, they basically set out our initiative, like we're, we're, you know, like revenue is great. Um, you know, throwing out like our, you know, making sure that we're focusing on the right, part of the, you know, the IT sphere is important, but none of that matters unless we have, you know, unless we're customer centric, unless we are focusing on our buyers 
if we're not giving them the right information when they're looking for it and making it easy for them to find that, I mean, we could have the greatest products in the world. No one's going to buy it because you're just going to be so frustrated with our web, our web platform. So it really started there of like, all right, let's, let's simplify our web platform. We have all of these fantastic brands, but each brand has their own story. So let's make sure that they're focusing on that particular story. And then from a paid search standpoint, like let's bid on those keywords that are relevant to that brand story. So, you know, even though, you know, even though there are multiple brands that can tell similar stories, there, there is one expert in, in that area. So let that expert shine and then the other brands can shine in their area of expertise. And then once we kind of thought about it in that perspective, it allowed us to eliminate a lot of these web pages um, that, you know, really weren't getting a lot of attention. Um, and, you know, like I said, really just kind of focus on, you know, getting people in front of the right information in this vast site. And then once we rolled that out from a North America standpoint, it just became much easier to, re to replicate um, with our geographies because, you know, the, the basis is what we do here in, in the, the process US. Was and then down. They, right. Yep. Makes sense. So, so what's interesting is that, you know, unlike there's a lot of companies out there that they are going to type in directly what they're looking for because they know. So like when you're talking about a B2C company, a lot of times, like, you know, you need, uh, if I'm going to move, I need a moving service. I type that in. There's no real alternative to a moving. It's you either need a moving company or you don't need a moving company. Right. Same, same thing with, you know, like everyday um, products that you can buy in a store. But what you're dealing with is this massive B2B ecosystem where sometimes stakeholders aren't even sure that there's a potential solution out there. Um, how do you go about positioning B2B in, in search? And you kind of mentioned it a little bit before that you're tapping into storytelling, but could you like break down um, what, what that means and like how, how you have to make those adjustments and find those moments for, for as a paid strategist? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like, I will tell you, like, what, one of the hardest things that for me to overcome when I made the switch, because I was originally, you know, as you know, part of the e-commerce the e world, we were back at 1-800-Flowers together. So exactly, like, it, it's a totally different ballgame. I mean, like, all we kind of cared about was, and I shouldn't say all we cared about, but it was like, you know, how fast can we, you know, can we get a conversion? Like, you know, let's, let's, if people are searching for Mother's Day flowers, like, let's put them in front of the product and let's get them to convert as fast as possible. And you right. kind of got that instant gratification. Within minutes, within minutes, yeah, we would know. Exactly. Of and then you, you know, switching over to the B2B world, it's like the, the sales cycles for some of these products are so much longer that that instant gratification of tying a, a specific search to revenue could take, you know, could almost take up to two years, depending on the type of product that wow. they're going for. Right. So, I mean, like, Incredible. I mean, you know, of course we have like some, you know, there are some products that are, you know, kind of have that instant gratif gratification, but. Others, I mean, you have to go through a sales cycle. So you're not necessarily measuring on a day-to-day -day basis, um, you know, how, like how your spend is attributing directly back to revenue. You have to measure it other ways. And so a lot of what we're looking at is, you know, especially when it comes to the different parts of our webpage is, or I should say our website is, you know, how are people engaging with their content? You know, are they, you know, are they spending time on our site? Are they taking kind of subsequent steps from the page that they came in on? to kind of trickle down the funnel to help them make their decision process. So it's much more of a, it's not necessarily looking at the conversion, but almost looking at kind of like different uh, trigger points to understand like, are we necessarily answering the question that they're looking for? Are we providing them information that's going to help them as they go through this decision journey? Because ultimately where, you know, 
where we kind of have the most influence to try to kind of convert them into a lead. So it's like, what, what are we going to give them that's going to provide them value to turn them from someone who's just searching for IT infrastructure solutions or hybrid cloud solutions to, okay, I'm very interested in what you guys have to offer. Um, I'm willing to give you my information and potentially be, you know, contacted by a sales team to, you know, start this whole sales cycle, which, you know, depending on the product could take a couple months and, you know, all the way down to, you know, a couple of years. Right. So the measure of success is really in like a micro conversion where it might be a download of, let's say, ebook one. And then from there, like that's success in that first month. But maybe the next month it is downloading ebook two, three, four, right. all the way down the pipeline, but then connecting that in with other marketing channels, getting them further down the funnel. Exactly. And I mean, and, and you can even take that a step further. It's, it's even it even is different from a given part of the website. So like if they're coming in on, and I guess the, the part of the business that I work very closely with is the IT infrastructure side. So okay. if someone was going to come in on our IT infrastructure homepage, I mean, if they're, you know, if they're typing in a search like IT infrastructure solutions, that's a very high level exploratory. I'm just starting my journey search. So if they're coming in on that page, they're probably not willing to give you their information right away. Like they're just starting their journey. So it's like, what content can I provide them that's going to provide them value if they're not willing to register for a white paper, register for a webinar. Like I have to give them something that's going to, you know, entice their interest, um, have them engage with our site, have them actually spend some time on our site to learn about what we actually offer. And in this way, if they, you know, they find what they need, if they leave, come back another day and now start to progress their journey, at least we're giving them steps. So, I mean, really for each portion of our website, we actually use different metrics to evaluate. Okay. Yeah, and that makes sense. So even if they're not actually taking that action, you're not just forgetting them. You Maybe you're putting them in some type of retargeting group and you're giving them some type of, it could be anything from like a YouTube ad to display yep. to search again, right? And they, you can come up and search, retarget them there. Right, exactly. And I mean, it also kind of depends on, um, and yeah, I know we've kind of touched about this when we, we talked before, but even like those like, you know, lifetime value and stuff like that of customers is like understanding like if, you know, if this is a product area that we know produces a, you know, large kind of lifetime value, if we can kind of get one of these leads in, um, you know, we're willing to kind of, you know, double down and, you know, use kind of, you know, RLSAs and stuff like that and, you know, put much more of a, uh, you know, put, put more, you know, a lot more dollars behind those efforts to get those customers in and, and push them further down the funnel. Yeah. And that, that's actually a good point because I think a lot of people miss the idea of lifetime, um, lifetime revenue, lifetime customer value. How important is getting those numbers calculated, understanding that if they purchase product A, that it could potentially, based off of the company data, lead to product B, C, and D? Like how important is understanding that when trying to calculate marketing spend? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's huge, um, especially in, in when you're when you're looking at a holistic strategy approach. Like, it might not it might not be huge on you know the day to day optimizations. Like, it's very tough to you know optimize your spend, move you know move dollars around to different campaigns when you're looking at lifetime value. So we'll kind of look at lead generation there. But when you're rolling out yearly budgets, quarterly budgets, even rolling out a yearly strategy, like looking at something like that um, is really what kind of what guides us. Because I mean, right. especially you know, we'll come out there, we'll have, every year we have specific strategic initiatives and that's going to get, you know, a bulk of the dollars. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen it just 
if you watch the masters, you, you know, that IBM is pushing hybrid cloud. I mean, like that's kind of where we are. That's, that's always, you know, that's our 2020, 2021 strategic initiative. Um, but there are other products that are in the IBM portfolio that generate a lot more revenue than that hybrid cloud. So even though that's the strategic initiative, the other products that we have is kind of what is going to give us a lot of our lifetime value. So we want to kind of make sure that we're pumping dollars behind those. Reason being is that, you know, these larger products, the opportunity cost to switch out of them once we have a buyer is so much greater. I mean, we have a, right. we have a pretty big portfolio of products where, yeah, it's going to create revenue this year. But, you know, I mean, we hope that we keep these customers Customers, obviously, but you know, you never know what happens in two, three years. What else comes out by competitors and stuff like that? The opportunity cost to switch is a lot lower when you look at some of these like IT infrastructure products, like where you actually are physically getting you know these servers and, and storage solutions on your premises. Um, I mean, if you get that customer in, the chance of them switching out to leave to another buyer is very, very minimal because they've already made this massive investment in right this IT infrastructure. So it's like you're willing to pay a little bit more and willing to have a little bit less efficiency on those campaigns because you know that if those, if those buyers convert and become clients, you're going to have them for, for almost for life versus someone else who might come in on, you know, a lower price point product or kind of, you know, the trendier strategic initiatives that we're trying to push um, that might not have that big of an opportunity cost. Um, you know, you, you might want to be a little bit more efficient there because you know that there's risk that they could always leave next year, the year after. What you explained is massively important because I think at face value, when marketers have to pitch budget, the cost is always something that we all have to deal with, right? Yep. And when you bring that to a CEO or a CFO at face value, they're going to look at these products that cost less, right? And are quicker conversion. But what they're not seeing is exactly what you said, that on the the whole lifetime of the customer, that's really easy to switch out in six months, in a year, in two years, they could switch out easily. But the products that are ingrained in infrastructure, right? And this is the case of IBM, but you can you could take you could take this for any product or service. What you should really look like at is what is going to be the longing the longest lasting customer. Um, right. So I think what you said it's like super important, but oftentimes marketers get dissuaded by the work that it will take to prove that. Um, but I think they shouldn't because ultimately it's going to make their job much easier and the company much more profitable. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, and it, it it's tough too. So if you, you know, sitting in some of those meetings and listening to kind of the, the big, you know, strategy guys talk, I mean, they, it, you, you do try to follow the market and you do try to follow like where your competitors are going and kind of follow the trends. And, um, you know, so it, it gets very easy to kind of get sucked down a particular path when, and, you know, kind of leave some of those other products behind. But I mean, if you, you know, the, the really good strategists and, you know, um, you know, I, I like to think, you know, our, our leadership team at IBM has, has done a great job over the last couple of years of kind of identifying like, yes, we want to be in space A, but we're not going to turn our back on space, you know, B and C, because we know that in the end, you know, all of this will give us, you know, a solid revenue stream. And, you know, we can't just, you know, pigeonhole ourselves and focus on one particular area. Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes it makes total sense to me. So let me ask you something. When it comes down to cross-selling on paid search, is paid search good at the cross-sell or do you think that's more on the sales teams to, to get that done? Um, it de- I'd say it depends. 
Um, I mean, okay. we definitely do rely a lot on our sales team to kind of make that cross sell. Um, one area that, I mean, that I think page search does have kind of a direct, um, you know, kind of a direct line to kind of help with that is, I mean, maybe it's not as much page search as it is with like kind of the, the design of like our, our web pages and things like that. But if, if you know buyers are searching for a certain product and it could easily be cross-selled with, you know, you know, product B, you know, making sure that we have information on product B on the page that we're driving, driving buyers to. Like if they're searching for flash storage and there's an upgrade that we can give them for flash storage, like let's make sure that we're promoting that on our website when we get buyers there. I mean, and there also are opportunities within paid search ads themselves, whether it be kind of the use of, you know, site links just to kind of get that other information out there to buyers to be like, hey, I know you're searching for this, but because you're interested in this, these are other products that are related to that and will help kind of, you know, boost your overall IT environment. So like th there is definitely a role there. Um, I don't necessarily know if we kind of like cracked the code yet on, you know, saying that everything that we're doing in search leads to those cross-sell opportunities. I mean, I know we do rely highly on our sales team for that, but I mean, there, there for sure is a role that, that we could play in helping that out. Yeah. So there's some type of supporting role, but it's, it's hard to say with the mix of, of the sales team, for sure. I, right. I definitely get that. I'd imagine that remarketing lists and, you know, even things like YouTube to get like cheap brand awareness on a potential new product that launches, maybe talk to your account manager, you know, at the end, uh, like a CTA at the end, that could be something that could be super effective. Yep. And then, I mean, I, I know one thing that we kind of rely like heavily on it, uh, at IBM, especially like if we get leads in those kind of like early consideration stages is, we, you know, we have teams that focus heavily on, you know, nurture streams. So just kind of making sure that, okay. yeah, you know, making sure that you know, we're following up with, with our clients, um, you know, whether it be through email, through, um, you know, I guess not so much anymore because we're in the, the COVID world right now, but, you know, we used to have kind of in-person meetings to try to like kind of, you know, showcase the new products and things like that. So this was all part of like a, you know, a steady play nurture stream to like get people to, you know, cash in on those cross-sell opportunities. Like, you know, if they're interested in, like I said, a certain product and we, we kind of put in all this stuff in place to get them to buy, you know, two, three, four subsequent products that would help out their initial purchase. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense to me. So I, I do have a question kind of related to COVID now. What was that initial response in, in, paid, in paid search when COVID hit? Was, um, how did, what did that look like for you guys? And did you see, one of the big things that we saw in the beginning of the pandemic was a big decrease in like CPM and, C, and CPC originally. But now about a year out, you know, pr pretty much a year, a little bit over, we're starting to see those costs kind of rise back up. Um, do you think that the, that the market's going to keep uh, like, do, wh where, where were you guys at? So did you got, were you guys constant or did you, um, did you have to pull back on, on digital? Yeah, no, we, we definitely, um, I would say, I know that the paid, paid social paid, uh, you know, the programmatic channels definitely took a little bit more of a hit than, than we did. Um, I mean, paid search definitely, you know, kind of took a hit. I, I think, the biggest area for us to navigate was to try to understand like where can we be bidding on and where are we going to be kind of be stepping on, you know, government healthcare regulation toes. I mean, we have an entire side of our business that's purely focused on healthcare and, you know, kind of rolling out a lot of these solutions that government agencies were talking about in response to COVID. So it was like, all right, oh, how can we get our message across and like be out there in this space, but at the same time, 
not taking away eyeballs from people searching for, you know, serious, you know, if people have the illness, like, you know, how do we like not step on healthcare systems oh, toes? How do we not step on, you know, government regulation, you know, uh, government's toes. Um, so it was like really trying to like navigate that space of, you know, where can we bid and then where can we not bid? And then, I mean, one area that we saw just absolutely skyrocket was, you know, kind of like the work from home space. So a lot of people, you know, a lot of major companies were kind of grappling with the fact that I'm, you know, we used to have all of our employees in the office. Now they're all working from home. This is going to be a huge, potentially a huge security risk. Like, how am I going to manage all of this? Like, you know, how am I going to know that my, my data is safe? How am I going to know that our company is safe? If I have, you know, 500 employees working, you know, remotely. So a lot right. of like the searches that we were seeing come in was like kind of like work from home solutions, um, you know, uh, data security solutions through working from home. So like, I mean, that was great for us because we, we do have technology and, and products in place that, you know, help with that. But so like in some areas we saw growth and in other areas we, you know, we were trying to like kind of, you know, tread lightly because, you know, for, especially on the healthcare side, because, you know, we didn't want to be infringing upon like, you know, hospitals and healthcare agencies that were actually trying to get, you know, relevant disease control data out to the yeah, public. Sure, sure. Yeah, and that, that's an interesting space. So so let me ask this, because piggybacking off that, because obviously the offering had to be made pretty quickly. Uh, you had to adjust, like this all happened to everybody in a matter of, you know, two weeks, all of a sudden we went yeah. from being in the offices to lockdown for an indefinite amount of time. So as marketers, and it's a little general, but you can draw from your experience, like how do you structure an offer for a customer to get a conversion? Like, what do you think that creative has to look like? And then how does it align with, with paid search? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I will say there are definitely, we have teams on, on our end that are definitely much smarter than I am. And it comes when it comes down to structuring offers. Um, but the one thing I will say when it comes to search is like, we could directly influence what our content and offering uh, managers are Sure. Promote or promoting or looking to promote. I mean, the, the nice thing about search and kind of one of the things that's always drawn me to it is like the buyers are giving you the real time, you know, they're, they're telling you in real time what they're looking for. Um, right. Not only that, taking that a step further is like when they're on our site, like we, we could directly link, all right, the buyer came in on this keyword and they converted for this asset. So like I'll, I'll be looking through all of like our conversion data and, and telling our product and offering management team, like, Hey, like, People around this this particular cr cluster of keywords are very interested in these types of assets. So when you guys are looking to create offers, I mean, you guys are the subject matter experts. You 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 know you negotiate with all the technical experts. Um, so like I mean, I'm I'm trusting you guys to to, to get the right offer yeah. out there. But I'm telling you that this is what our buyers are interested in. So if you are going to structure new offers, this is what you should look to structure them around. Yeah, and then, so the like, search. You know, the, the search term report is probably like one of the most powerful pieces of insight that any company could use. Cause even based off of the, the keywords that you type in, if you're using like broad match modifier, you could actually see what it's mapping into and then pass that on to creative and content teams for them to actually create better content. Right. Um, exactly. I mean, you know, and, and, and like I said, like they're, they're, they're completely like the subject matter experts in that standpoint. They have, I mean, they have so many, uh, yeah, negotiate you know, they, they negotiate with a lot of the like the big time like technology paper writers and stuff like that so it's like they they do a very good job at what they do and i think where we have a role is you know, kind of like what you said they based on search query reports based on how we see people converting once they're on the site like giving that giving that piece of data 
over to them and having that help kind of shape and inform their decisions when they're working out those content, you know, content pieces and or working out contracts with, you know, with new writers and things like that. Yeah. And I think the other thing is too, is you have to understand like as a marketer, those things are going to change. So you might have, that might be working right now and for the next two months, but in three months, those search terms, it's, it's dynamic, right? So right. based on, based on the, uh, uh, you know, efforts like, or not efforts, but like issues like uh, COVID-19, like that was probably a really hard pivot for you guys at that time where you were pushing you some of your IT infrastructure products. And now there's probably, um, there's probably a lot more room for these healthcare and government products, like you were saying. So that's important for marketers to understand too, is that once you created that white paper or whatever that asset is, it's not over. Like you're going right. to have to run those reports again. I mean, I, yeah, and I can even give you an example of that too. It's like, you know, I, I mentioned before that we saw a a real surge in kind of like data security, um, you know, uh, data backup and recovery solutions because now everyone was working from home. Um, and, you know, we're still kind of in that that COVID world where, you know, not everyone has fully gone back to the office. We're still kind of in that, you know, some places have gone back to a hybrid space. Other places are still fully from home. So, Based on all that search data, like we've had a lot of our content teams pivot and write or, or get uh, reports commissioned specifically uh, pertaining to our products and how they relate to data backup and recovery, data security. So if, if you go up and down our website, depending on you know which brand you're looking for, you'll see specific papers written and about COVID-19 and the effects on data security and how product you know, I guess you know, how product X helped solve that need. Um, right. I know a big one was on the, you know, on the supply chain side, because, you know, back, back when this first happened, um, you know, everyone was worried, like, is our supply chain going to get shut down? Like what, what's happening? You know, yeah. How, how's that good? So we had, you know, we've had reports commissioned about like how our products and how like our AI technology helps, you know, helps kind of mitigate the risk of there being a shutdown to your supply chain because of the world that we're living in now. And, you know, just kind of making sure that those offers are out there and visible. And that, that was all kind of based off of those, those search demand reports of, you know, this is what buyers are looking for. That's interesting. And, yeah. And, you know, how can we meet that need? Yeah. Because the, the obvious things were probably everything that was healthcare related. And then the supply chain wound up being a whole nother problem. That's a really, it's a worldwide problem at this point. Yep. There's not one business that isn't affected by the supply chain issues. So you guys had saw that, you brought it to the team, then they, they made that, that pivot. Yep. Um, is there when you're looking at search term reports, are you, is there like a standard operating procedure? Like, Hey, I'm looking at this like once a week or once a month in like a, a not a COVID situation, right. Or COVID year. What, what did that look like? And um, has it changed now because of it, because of COVID where now this is something that's paid attention to a little bit more. Yeah. I, I'd say we probably look at it a little bit more frequently than we used to in the past. I mean, I would say we were probably looking at them, you know, maybe, maybe on like a, a bi-monthly basis. So like, you know, just to kind of see if there were any like really just, you know, major trends popping in the market. I mean, of, of course, if there was like a big, you know, a major announcement in, in the tech sphere, um, you know, that's kind of something we'd monitor and, and things like that. But on a regular basis, I mean, our, our relative like cadence used to be, you know, every, every two months, we're going to look at this and see if there's any, you know, outliers and, and kind of, you know, pivot based on that. But I think once COVID hit, I mean, we started pulling this almost on like a weekly basis just because wow. what people were searching for on, you know, especially in the, in the, the technical space, 
um, was, was changing with the week. I mean, they, they, everyone had all of a sudden different concerns. Um, you know, they, they were looking for different solutions based on kind of you know, where their business was at that time. So um, focusing on that has we actually made it kind of a much bigger priority now um, than we have in the past. And, and, and I think I actually think it's helped us. Um, I mean, it, it's definitely made us kind of more agile in a way. Like we're, we've gotten like our, our, our full, you know, full team, whether it be the paid team, the content team, everyone, we're able to kind of like, you know, think on our feet a little bit quicker and kind of react to the market a, a lot sooner than we were, we were in the past. And I, I think by having us look at this information and share it with the leadership teams and the content teams, you know, that, that's, that definitely played a big help for sure. And we had another guest on Keith Crumpler, who obviously you're friends with as well. Um, he was talking about avoiding analysis paralysis when there's just too much data, but I'd imagine it's almost the opposite here for you because like what search data is validating is that there is a high volume of interest Like you can look to see like what those impressions were. So I'd imagine that that data became not only an indicator, but almost something that validated where maybe if you saw that trend for two or three weeks at the scale IBM has, maybe that's enough to say like, it makes sense for us to have three white papers that need to be produced in two weeks, you know, for this rather than <laughs> assumptions, <laughs> right? Right. Rather than yeah. just looking at a trend being like, ah, is this something we need to act on? Like you can actually look at that search volume and, and come out with, with a really, you know, good indication of if you should pursue this initiative. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think that that was part of the reason like under like kind of we'll call it normal market conditions. Like we didn't need to look at this every single week, every single you know month, because at a certain point, like unless there were like some very visible outliers that we could see right away. I mean, to Keith's point, I mean, you could just be staring at this data all day. It's like, but are, is it is it actionable? Like just because right. you see a, a few terms popping up under kind of you know, normal circumstances, like, is there anything that we could action off this? Whereas you know, fast forward to kind of the, the COVID world and kind of where we were right now, it's like we were seeing like major, major spikes in in these different search terms. Like, and, and that like we knew like, all right, if we have the resources to be able to answer this question, like we should absolutely do it because the buyers are telling us right now that this is what they're looking for. Um, it's now, incredible. I, like, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if when things fully get back to normal, if we'll kind of still see those big, big time spikes. But um, I mean, I, I think, for sure, it'll be something that we'll kind of continue to monitor. Um, I, I, I'd say we'll probably end up scaling back at the frequency that we look at these, but um, you know, for, from what we're seeing right now, it's like if we definitely have a, a group of our you know agency team members who who keep kind of a, a steady eye and a steady pulse on, it, and you know, they'll they'll be the first ones to to raise any flags if, if they're seeing like, hey, you know, we're getting spikes and you know across these five areas, and do we do we have the opportunity to to pivot and create something, or or is it even already created that we could just throw it into market. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you. I think things will level off, but I still think it's a really valuable lesson in, in being able to react to data and in a way that's, it's really not complicated. And obviously IBM is this massive company, but even if you had to spend a 5,000 or $10,000 a month using Google, you would have that data too. Like you, that's a sufficient right. amount for a smaller company in a really, you know, located, you know, centralized area that they would be able to use that search term report and actually be able to create actionable marketing peer, uh, uh, pieces based off of that, then loop that into search or loop that into a new campaign that they're spinning off, whether it's for search or social or email, whatever that looks like. 
Right. Exactly. And, and you know, the, the, the nice thing is that like using those reports, like most of the time, like things don't change that drastically. Like if someone is searching for hybrid cloud, you know, today, chances are they're still going to be interested in, in hybrid cloud in a couple months from now. So you, you still kind of have time to, you, you kind of see where the volume is, see what people are searching for. And then you still have enough time to, you know, work and develop pieces, develop your website and kind of, you know, get it out into market. Um, so it's like, you know, it's, it's not like you all of a sudden you'll kind of see these spikes. And he's like, all right, we got to react to this. And then by like tomorrow, everything's gone. Like for the most part, um, when, when things are in a state of normalcy for the, you know, for the most part, you'll be able to see the data, you know, understand the trends and then react to it and be able to get your stuff out to market in enough time to kind of capitalize on that. I mean, yeah, it's very, very rare that we'll see something be a hot topic, you know, on a Monday and then by Friday, like people are completely like uninterested in it. I mean, it absolutely happens, but I mean, that's, those are kind of the rare cases where it's an interest of one day and then a, a complete non-story four days later. Yeah. Especially with B2B products that yeah. it's like you said in the beginning, it's a long sales cycle. So it's the same thing with interest. People, people are really thinking out and we already know that, you know, hybrid uh, like cloud solutions and hybrid solutions, those are here to stay. That's right. kind of, you know, it, it's the technology of today, but it is the technology of the future. So I guess there's some comfort in knowing that all the efforts that you did put in this year, that you could still reuse that in some capacity and probably in a way that benefits the customer experience. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, cause you think about like kind of the stuff that we're, you know, we, we as a company are learning too. It's like, you know, the, the stuff that we're putting out there today, you know, it, it's solving the need for right now. But I mean, as we kind of move into the future, like customers' needs are going to change. The the technology that we have available to us and we're able to supply to our customers is going to change. So it's if this is kind of the trend that we're going and we understand that, like it constantly kind of allows us to, to pivot and, and make our products better, make our content better, and just kind of keep providing um, you know, the best possible customer solutions to our buyers, um, you know, just kind of keep making sure that we're meeting, you know, meeting their needs. And again, it kind of always just goes back to making sure that we're kind of customer centric and, you know, putting the needs of our buyers before kind of what we think our own company needs are. Absolutely. And, and I think paid search and user experience, is just one of those things, they go hand in hand with each other. And, and it really does feed, especially because yes, you're paying for the data, but you're paying to get in front of people and then you can measure how they behave. So I, I've always found that interesting. So um, on another note, you know, when we're talking about paid search, I think immediately what people think about is Google search. Yep. Are there other mediums that you're looking at that you believe are important? Like is Bing relevant or is there somebody on the, on, you know, that you're looking at right now that you're saying like, Hey, there could be potential here. Um, from a paid from paid search side, yep. So so you would be very surprised with Bing, um, and like I, I know, like I've if I were to bring up Bing to like my wife or to like my friends who are not in marketing, I, I guarantee the first response I would get like Bing still exists. Um, not only does it still exist, it has a very very loyal customer following. Um, now, I mean, just I'll put it in perspective. Like you know, we have a kind of a multi million dollar paid search budget. We we spend a fraction of our budget on Bing, um, right. roughly like seven to 10%. Um, so it's like, you know, not something that we're kind of dumping all of our money to, but what we're, what we have found out and what we've been finding out over the last couple of years is that the buyers that come to us on Bing um, convert at a very, very high rate. And we've actually ended up kind of 
dump it. I wouldn't say dump it, but putting more money into Bing. So like where we were typically on average spending seven to 10% of our budget on Bing, like this year, we're actually at 15% because we have seen those really, really strong conversion rates through the platform. Um, I mean, again, I, I wouldn't advise anyone to like put all of their dollars into Bing. I think it's, it's a very good kind of, you know, Google is still king. It's still, a, you know, that's where people are getting a bulk of the searches are still through Google. Um, but I mean, I definitely think that there is, if, if you have, you know, money to spend, you know, money to spare and are willing to kind of go into that platform, I absolutely think it's something that, that people should be taking advantage of because we do find that, it, like they said, it's a very, very loyal customer base. And while the search volume may be a lot smaller, uh, what we're finding anyway, at least on, on the B2B side, is that they, could, they do convert very, very, very well. Yeah, and and we see we see similar results. I think it depends on on the client. But what I think is interesting about Bing that people forget is that, especially for an older demographic, like when you're talking about boomers, typically they are buying um, Windows products. Windows comes preloaded with Bing as default, yep. and a lot of times they're not going to actually change the the default to Google. Uh, they're just going to leave. And like my dad's like a prime example of it, but it's also a prime example of a great, of a great customer to go after. It's, it's um, somebody who has money because they, they, you know, everybody has left the nest, right? They are yep. not yet at retirement, but they are in senior level executive positions or senior parts of their career where they have more expendable income. So it becomes actually a really advantageous channel to go after. Now I'm talking about from the B2C side, but I'd also imagine from the B2B side that because of who these people are, that you know they're decision makers right now in companies. So I'd imagine that that's why you're seeing great conversion there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, I think you, you just completely touched on it right there. It's like, you know, it, we're still at the point where it's like kind of our generation is slowly kind of rising up the ranks and kind of getting to those senior level spots. But at the end of the day, like those... CEO, you know, CFO kind of CIO positions are still held by kind of the older demographic. And to that point, like right. that, that's kind of why we end up seeing a lot more conversions on it because they, they are the, at the end of the day, like if you're the, the CIO, like you're the, you're the end decision maker. So like, you're going to be yeah. the one that's going to be kind of converting on, on our offers. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's definitely kind of played a part in it for sure. Do you think any of the privacy has been kind of a big issue in our, in our sphere for like the last me, I feel like it's really been like the last six months where with Apple kind of forcing the, the app tracking transparency um, there's like, there's search engines like DuckDuckGo. Are, is there going to be somebody that comes out of left field that you think that might, you know, someone else be even besides Bing? And I know their market share is small, but is there someone else that's on your radar? Um, I mean, we, we do keep an eye on DuckDuckGo. Um, I, you know, kind of to your point, like with a lot of the, the privacy issues and, and things like that, we are not, like we don't currently, you know, use that. You know, there's, I, I think for us, we've, we've placed kind of such an, a large emphasis on kind of customer privacy and customer security that we're kind of want to make sure that we're, if we are investing, and this goes for all of our marketing channels, if we are investing in, in with any one particular partner, we have to kind of make sure that, you know, you know, our customer data is kind of of the utmost priority and we're not going to be, right. you know, 
it's not going to get leaked out or you know, we're not going to be kind of subject to any of these security breaches. Like that's like priority number one. So it's like, we're always kind of keeping a pulse and an eye on the market, but like, unless someone can kind of come out there and really show that they have, you know, really solid value and not only solid value, but really going to place a high emphasis on data protection. Um, it's kind of not going to be someone that we're going to invest with that, you know, at, at this point in time. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think the next year is going to be telling the next two years is going to be telling if there could be like this third competitor, but Google really does have such a hold on the industry that it's hard to even imagine that happening. But I right. definitely love your, love your insight on Bing though. Cause I think that there's so much potential there. And you know, the one thing we didn't mention too, was that it's, it's, it's cheaper too. Like yes. you're reaching yeah, that, a premium demographic that's cheaper. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, across the board, like our average CPCs are about 50% less on Bing than they are on Google uh, for, for, you know, for the same, the same keyword set. So, I mean, it, we definitely get a pretty substantial savings um, from bidding there than, you know, on Google. But, but again, like, you know, there's always trade-offs, like while it might be cheaper, the search volume is lower. So it's kind of, you know, again, you don't want to be dumping, you know, yeah. putting all your eggs in the big basket, but you know, it's, if you have kind of money to spare and you're willing to kind of go that route, like there's definitely value in, in placing some of your marketing uh, not even marketing, just your paid search budget into bidding. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's always a second part of this that at the end of the day, you also have to look at the SQLs, the sales qualified leads at the end of the day. How much of those are actually coming from um, Bing versus Google? And then, yep. and then it also comes down to, but what is the volume too? Because especially at large companies, it, the small budget is could be millions of dollars. So at that point, there might be a point where parts are saturated. So you you really need Google to still pull off the volume to make the sales that you want to make year over year. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Joey, listen, it was great having you on the podcast today. I felt like we uh, we went over a lot. Is there something that you feel like we didn't hit on yet? No, I mean, I, I think... I, I think we touched on you know, a pretty good portion of it. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, like, I love paid search and not, not to push paid search on, on, on other people, but I would say like out of all the marketing channels that I've had the opportunity to work with in the past, um, I think paid search to me is the most interesting. Um, I feel like there's the most you can learn from it. There's just kind of the, you know, we touched on it a lot already, but it, it's the one platform where, you know, buyers are actually looking for you and telling you what they're interested in versus, you know, you as a company trying to go out there and try to fish for potential clients. So the, the amount of data and the amount of insight that you can get by just looking at what people are searching for um, and, and just kind of, you know, analyzing your paid search performance, analyzing, you know, kind of the, the keywords that you're bidding on and the content you're driving them to, it could open up kind of a whole different area of opportunities for, for a company. And, I mean, I think there's a lot of value in spending time going through and, and combing through paid search data and using that to inform a lot of your other, not only marketing decisions, but, you know, offer decisions, um, you know, budgetary and strategy decisions. Like there's a lot that can come from paid search data that might not be able to come from, you know, other paid advertising channels. So yeah, it I, just, uh, yeah, opens I, up a whole new world for companies. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've always found that that side of the business is the most exciting. I mean, I got my start in analytics and then right after that, it led me right to paid search and, and it is super informative. It can actually help you make real business decisions that are much broader than just paid search. So that's been interesting. There, there is actually one question I just thought of 
we talk a lot about having so much data at the tips of, of our fingers now because of paid search and, and other channels as well. But do you think that the paid uh, media manager or the strategist, do you think that, and subjectively here, that our positions are under attack by AI? Like, do you believe that there is a, because that's something I go back and forth. Like, honestly, I go back and forth about that where how is the roles really going to change? Because right now it's, we're in a really interesting time, especially on Google. A lot of these automated bidding strategies are being pushed, but I don't think that they, some of the times they work really good. Other times it is so bad. It's almost like, I wonder why they even release them. So what do you think is the future for our position? So, I mean, I'll be honest with you. There are, there are days where like, I'll go by and be like, crap, am I going to be like phased out by a computer one day? Because I, like you said, like there are days with these automated, and we have automated bid rules like up and down our, our entire, you know, pretty much all of our campaigns. And there are days, like you said, that they work really, really well. The one aspect that I still see like why our roles are going to be relevant is because at the end of the day, like, when the bid rules are going through all this data, they're pushing money um, to, you know, to campaigns, to ad groups that are going to generate responses. But kind of going back to like the lifetime value discussion, the strategy discussion, that they're not interpreting what the overall strategy is. They're just interpreting what, you know, what people are searching for and making sure that they're getting, you know, upping those keywords because they're converting. Where kind of our role is, is to kind of internalize, you know, where we're getting results, understand how that relates back to the larger strategy, and then kind of communicating with the bid rules being like, all right, we need to like, that's great that we're converting on these five keywords, we need to pivot a little bit and work, you know, focus on other things, because this is where our strategy really lies. So we might not necessarily be the ones in the engine every single day, I I think at at some point, we're going to kind of get like phased out with that. But we are going to be the the strategy holders, the budget holders, like telling kind of these automated bid rules, like where they need to focus. And, you know, I, I, at least at this moment in time, uh, I feel very kind of comfortable with that. Like, like that's kind of where our role is, is to kind of interpret the data, look at what we see these bid rules doing and kind of guide them um, and even help our kind of senior management make decisions based on that data. Um, you know, so, so I, I don't necessarily think that we're going to get kind of, phased out, but there, there is a portion of, you know, kind of like the, the day-to-day stuff that is going to be just left to, you know, let's just let the bid rules run. Yeah. Which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. And, and I, no. I agree with everything that you're saying. I, the way I look at a paid media strategist is that we are now going to be primarily like at a really basic level, making sure keeping it human so that it's not making these robotic decisions that are just based off of the data that it's getting but keeping it in check and making sure that the message is correct, making sure that we're focusing on the right products, like you said, to, you know, to your point, um, that, that's the way I look at our jobs, but really we're going to be in charge of really being like the business insight, like coordinator, if you will, or make, making sure that the things that it's doing is right. And that we are making a decision that's really great for the customer. That's great for the business. And it, and it, and it aligns, uh, aligns those things. Exactly. And it's not a bad thing because the human mind is best when we can focus on more innovative strategies than just going through data every single day and trying to do these calculations in our head when really we're not built to do this. This is why we built AI. Right. I mean, it allows a lot of our creativity to come out like that. that that's, a, that's the way you're going to ultimately develop, you know, 
solid marketing strategy, solid offers, solid web content is if you kind of allow that innovation and that creativity to flow. And, and if, if this is going to kind of help take some of that off our hands so we can be more creative and, and more critical in, in thinking about kind of our strategy and, and our rollout, um, it, you know, it's only going to be better and then make those automated platforms work for us better. Right, right. Yeah, the future is bright, I think, for paid media managers. Um, it, it's it's going to be more exciting than anything else. Um, but Joey, thank you again for coming on the podcast today. Ton of insight. I, I think that this is uh, going to be really informative to a lot of marketers out there who are starting to get their, their dip their toes a little bit in paid, uh, you know, in paid search, or if they're thinking about doing a career here and want to know what the future looks like. I think you broke it down really nicely in terms of how everything works, especially at a big company like IBM. So I appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, Don, thanks so much for having me. I was happy to, uh, happy to be here and yeah, just kind of talk about paid search. I mean, something I could probably talk about for hours. So it's always, uh, always good to get it out there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, listen, we could go into so much, but it's just like, we only have an hour. So we got to just kind of keep it high level, but I appreciate it. I felt like we hit on a lot of, a lot of good things today. Awesome. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, Great to be here, Nick. Thanks so much for having me on. I, I appreciate it. No problem. Okay, I'll stop the recording.